0: Let's bow our heads together for a word of prayer to start this evening. Father, that song really is the cry of our heart, Lord. We just ask you, God, that you would move in our soul, move in our heart, that you would be the great desire and the great longing of each and every person here this evening. There is nothing, Lord, that matters more in life than you. Nothing greater or more significant than the spiritual than the eternal. And yet, Lord, we we recognize, all of us, how easy it is to be distracted by the worries, the concerns, the anxieties, the nice things of this life, and how it can keep us, dull our senses, cause sort of an apathy and a complacency to set in, and we miss the things that are most important in life. We ask you, Father, tonight that you would refocus our heart, refocus our mind. Help us to understand this evening, Lord, what ought to be burning on our heart and soul. What motivates such a great desire in a Christian who's living for you. Help us to grasp this, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Tonight, I thought I would build a little bit on last week's message, and some of you know we talked a little bit about Tim Tebow, and of course we were Tebowed last week, and uh, who knows how long that will continue to happen. But what I talked with you about last night was desire and the importance of desire, and the importance to God about our desires, and how incredibly important it is that we desire the right thing. We can have good desires in life. We can have bad desires. And most people do not realize in the world in which we live that their lives are completely driven by desire. Desire is what drives us. The Bible tells us that our actually our sinful nature is driven by carnal desires. The desire of the eyes. The desire for the pleasures of life the desire for what we can taste, smell, see, and touch. And that often those desires, they get us in a lot of trouble. You know, we, we, like to, <clears throat> we like to blame people so often for the habits that we have in our life, but really it's just a matter of that desires that we allow in our lives to grow and to thrive. But without Jesus Christ, you see, without the restraining influence... Of Jesus Christ. In a person's life. There is only. Sinful desire. There is only selfish desire. We live to satisfy our cravings. Now. An extreme example of this. It's an unpleasant example. And I don't know how this is all going to pan out yet. But we've just watched. One of the most storied. Universities. In the entire United States, Penn State University completely brought to its knees because of one's man, one man's out of control desires. Tiger Woods just won his first golf tournament in two years. And we watched his complete fall from, you know, one of the most. Difficult sports to play because it is out of control desires. We've got a government that's going bankrupt because of its out of control desires to buy power, to spend money, and no fiscal discipline. But we see it in the average American home. The same problem over and over and over. Most people's financial difficulties are not so much caused because they don't make enough, but because no matter what they make, it's never enough. And we want, and we want, and we want, and we want. And the Bible actually tells us that we were like brute beasts before Christ, just driven by like sharks with blood in the water. And then just a frenzy takes over. And we're driven by those desires. Christ comes into our life. He gives us a new desire. But the thing you have to understand about the desire is that it must be fed. Sin is the same way. If you begin to ignore sin, if you begin to ignore those desires, at first they're very strong. They scream out. They want attention. But the more you turn away from them, the more you turn away from them, the less power they have. They're still there, but the less power they have. The same is true with our spiritual desires that Christ puts in our life. He puts a desire in our heart to want to do what God wants us to do. He gives us new desires. The Bible says, open wide your mouth and I will fill it. And yet so often the Christians close their mouth to God. They close their heart to God. And so they experience sort of a leanness in their spiritual life. Excuse me. So last week I talked about Tim Tebow and the the, the, uh, tremendous desire that he has to win. And I shared with you last week, I mean, the guy's getting ridiculed. He's got everybody analyzing him. Everybody telling him he can't pass. He can't win football that way. He can't run so many times. But he just keeps winning. I mean, it starts out rough. The first couple quarters go rough. But this last week, the second half of the game... All of a sudden, I guess he has a passing game, doesn't he? And you see in this guy, this burning desire to win football games. And because of that burning desire, which is far more than wishful thinking. Tim Tebow doesn't sit on a couch, you know, every day just wishing he was a better football player. But instead, he harnesses that desire... And it causes him to work and to learn and to grow and to change and to mature and develop his skills to a much greater level. It drives the focus of his life. He studies films. He learns defenses so that he can win more games. Desire has a direct influence on our work ethic. It has a direct influence on our eagerness to learn and our hunger to grow. People don't want to grow, don't have much desire. You see, Christians who are staying in the same place, it's because of the lack of desire. Not the lack of capability. Not the lack of ability. It's because they worship other things. They have allowed their affections to go after other things that are more important. And you know what's interesting with a lot of people? We're a nation of couch potatoes. We are a nation of spectators. I shared with you last week, obviously most of us don't have the talent to play in the NFL, or the NBA, or Major League Baseball. But you'd think that at least, with all the watching, it would motivate us to get in shape. It doesn't even do that. It motivates us to order more dominoes, stuff our face more, and our bellies get bigger. And listen... I know it's funny, it's kind of comical. It's an epidemic. It's an epidemic of slothfulness, laziness, of desire that obviously is out of control, but we don't care. We pander to it. The restaurants pander to it. And we spend, and we spend, and we spend. And we're not becoming anything more, anything greater, anything useful. But you look at a guy like Tim Tebow, And I was reading an interview the other day, and they were interviewing some of his teammates. And they said, what's the deal with Tim? You know, the guy said, well, you know, I invite him out. We invite him out to dinner. He won't come. He just stays at home. studies films. He studies, studies, studies. I'll bet you. I'll bet you Tim Tebow throws 500 passes a day, if not more. And he throws, and he throws. He's with the coach, working on his throwing motion. He's working on his release. He's working on getting back in the pocket. He's working on running. In fact, they say of Tim Tebow that he is the most fit, in-shape guy. Most quarterbacks don't hit the weight room like Tim Tebow hits the weight room. The guys in his team have said he's by far the most fit guy on our entire team. What motivates that? Desire. You see, the desire to win. <clears throat> when I came to Christ... I wanted to share with you tonight the greatest motivational desire in my life. And I'm going to show you from the New Testament how it was intended to motivate all of our lives. There is one overriding motivational desire in my life, and it's been there for the last 36 years. Now, it's not the only one, but it's one of the primary ones, and I want to discuss it with you tonight. Because it's something that every single person here has got to understand and get a hold of. This desire has driven me for 36 years. And that desire is singular. It's to influence every single person that I know. And every person yet that I do not know. And every person that knows Christ. It's to influence them to know Christ more. It's to save lives. It's to change lives. It's to help those who do not yet know Christ to come to know Christ. It's to help those who know Christ, to know Him more. To obey Him more. To be equipped. To be trained. To be encouraged. To be transformed. And I will pay any price to see that happen. Any price. I want God to use my life to see other people come to know Jesus Christ. That's why Christ came. Christ said, I did not come To be served, but to serve and give my life a ransom for many. Jesus Christ said, I came to seek and to save that which was lost. If you're going to develop the heart of God in your life, then your heart has got to go out to other human beings. There is nothing more important in the world than the spiritual need of other people. Nothing. Christians have a spiritual need, and the non-Christian has a spiritual need. The non-Christian has a need for salvation. The non-Christian needs to recognize their sinfulness before God, their brokenness, that they have a terminal disease called sin, and there's no escaping the grim reaper. There's no escaping the judgment of God, and we have the answer, and they need Jesus Christ. Not only for eternity, but for here and now, to transform their life. The Christian, the Christian needs to grow. The Christian needs encouraged. The Christian needs trained. The Christian needs equipped. The Christian, the word literally to equip in the book of Ephesians means to mend, to reset a broken arm. So many Christians, so many young men and women, old men and women, we have the wrong perspectives, the wrong understandings of things, and we need reset. We need rebuked. We need challenged. We need exhorted. We need others to inspire us. We need someone to build us up in our faith. We need someone who knows the word of God, who is living out the word of God and can lead us by their example. You know what Jesus left us with? With what we call our great mission, the great commission. It has been committed to us. Jesus said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and in earth. Go, therefore. Go. Go. Be going is what it means. Be going to all nations. Make disciples of all nations. Make converts of people from all different parts of the world. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And teach them to do what I taught you to do. Train them. Teach them. Disciple them. That commission was given to all of us. The question is... Does it burn on your heart? Is it what your life's about? Is it what defines you? There's no question what defines Tim Tebow. I mean, it's Jesus Christ, it's football. It's Jesus Christ, it's football. But on a day-to-day-to-day-to-day-to-day basis, right now, Tim Tebow's life is immersed in football. What he eats, what he doesn't eat. How much sleep he gets, how much film he studies, his hunger to learn, what he's preparing for on the weekend. Tim Tebow is only winning games because of what he does six days a week that you don't see. He's only winning games because of what he does, what he is devoted to privately that you never get to see every single day. And then he shows up and he does his thing. That's true for any football player, for any athlete. It's what's done outside the spotlight. And the same is true for you and I. It's what are we doing outside the spotlight. Are you determined? Let me ask you a couple things. Are you determined to change and grow in any area of your life that you might be more effective in accomplishing the mission of Christ? Do you realize that some of you are, are very ineffective at influencing other people? Are you willing to change and grow? Are you willing to learn to smile? Are you willing to learn to be kind? Are you willing to learn to put others' needs first? Are you willing to see how selfish you are on a regular basis and learn to become a servant? How committed are you to become a winner that God can use? A person who can win and influence others. I want to just go through a few things here with you this evening. (coughs) And... um. I just want you to think about them because I I often think that part of the reason we miss this is we do not understand what's really at stake. And tonight what I want you to do is I want you to think about your family, your mom and dad, your brothers and sisters. You're going to be seeing many of them soon for Christmas, aunts and uncles, cousins. I want you to think about some of your friends, maybe some of your before Christ friends. I want you to think about some of your classmates, some of your coworkers, And I want to ask you this. Do you understand that sin is destroying every person's life that you know who does not know Jesus Christ? <clears throat> Do you understand that? That every single person who does not have Christ has a deadly disease called sin. And not only is sin destroying their life, making them incapable of... Incapable of real meaning and real joy and real peace in life and a relationship with God. But, and this is very important, and I want to share it with you tonight. But every single person who does not know Christ will be judged by God forever. And I'd like to read you what the book of 2 Thessalonians written by the Apostle Paul <coughs> who is very driven by his desire to reach others. This is one of the reasons. Listen to what he writes. And God will provide rest for you who are being persecuted, and also for us when the Lord Jesus appears from heaven. Now, what are we celebrating right now? I mean, soon. What are we celebrating? Christmas. And what is Christmas about? Christ's birth. Christ's birth. Right? So we all here tonight, as far as I know, we all believe that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came into the world the first time. Right? I mean, we've got history to prove it. We've got eyewitness testimony to prove it. And, of course, we we go over it over and over and over again every Christmas. But do you understand what it says right here? Christ will appear again. Christ is going to appear again. That shouldn't be so hard to grasp. He came already once. And almost, but not quite, the entire world celebrates the birth of the Son of God. His appearing, Emmanuel, God with us. He's coming back. And listen to what's going to happen. He will come with his mighty angels in flaming fire, bringing judgment on those who do not know God and those who refuse to obey the good news of our Lord Jesus Christ. They will be punished. With everlasting destruction, forever separated from the Lord and from His glorious power when He comes to receive glory and praise from His holy people. And you will be among those praising Him on that day, for you believed what we testified about Him. Now, if you're like me, you probably driven down the highway and you just kind of been minding your own business, maybe you're listening to your favorite song on the radio, and you happen to look in your rearview mirror, and what do your wondering eyes see? Flashing lights. Have you ever had that happen? I know, you're all so good. So, I'll just admit, I've had it happen. But, but fortunately it wasn't because I did something wrong. It was the person next to me. No, that's not true. I've gotten a ticket or two or four. I don't know how many it's been. How many of you have experienced the universal reaction? You immediately, oh, your gut tenses up. You're like, oh, crap or something, a derivative thereof. And and just overwhelming feeling of, oh, my God, my whole stinking day is ruined and you pull off to the side of the road, and the whole time, you're just discombobulated. You ever had that feeling? Anyone? What do you think it's going to be like when Christ comes back? And everyone who scoffed and everyone who laughs is hiding under the rocks, begging them to fall on them, to hide from the judgment of God. It's very important that you understand This isn't a game. If you believe in Christmas, if you believe that the Son of God came the first time, you don't have the option to disbelieve that He's not coming again. He's coming again. The first one set up the second one. And He's coming again. And any of our friends that we say we love, and any of our family members that we say we love, that do not know Him, who have refused to obey the gospel, to accept it to acknowledge to God, I have sinned and put their trust and faith in Christ, they will be held accountable by God. Just like you and I being held accountable by the cop for speeding. Except it's much more serious. There's eternal consequences. And you can argue all day or you can read the text you begin to understand why the death of Jesus Christ is the single most important event in history. If he did not die and did not shed his blood, we're all destined for this kind of eternity. The stakes could not be higher. But the second thing you need to understand, and that's for us Christians, I'd like to read this passage to you in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Because most Christians, they're not aware of this. This is in chapter five: God Himself. <clears throat> let me make sure I've got the right passage. Here we go. God Himself has prepared for us, prepared us for this, and is guaranteed, and is a guarantee He's given us the Holy Spirit. So we're always confident, even though we know that as long as we live in these bodies, we are not at home with the Lord. That's why we live by believing and not seeing. Yes, we are fully confident, and we would rather be away from these bodies, for then we'll be home with the Lord. So our aim is to please him always whether we are in this body or away from this body. For we must all stand before Christ to be judged. For we will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil we've done in our bodies. It is because we know this solemn fear of the Lord that we work so hard to persuade to persuade others. Is your life persuasive? Do you make Christ attractive to those who know you? To your children? To your relatives? To your unsaved neighbors? To your unsaved classmates? To those you work with? Do you understand that if you really have a love and a fear of God, you will give yourself however you can to persuade God Others, not only those who do not know Christ, but those who know Christ. I have shared it over 162 conferences, besides countless hundreds of other uh, situations I've been in, and with one great desire, that's to persuade every single person within the sound of my voice to leave everything and give everything they have to serve Jesus Christ. To love them with everything they have. To get devoted. To get in the word of God. To get wise. To grow. To feed their faith. To get discernment. To get understanding. Why? So they can live their life for the only thing that matters. Otherwise you're wasting your life. You're wasting your life. And the Apostle Paul makes it very clear. He says, God knows we are sincere. And I hope you know this too. Are we trying to pat ourselves on the back? No. No. Not at all. Paul recognized, as he goes on in the text to say, we are Christ's ambassadors. We are the ambassadors to the world. The first great ambassador from God was Jesus Christ. He left, and we are in his place. Hundreds of us. Billions of us. Now, I want you to think about this for a moment. If there's a billion Christians on the planet, supposedly there's approximately that many who claim the name of Jesus Christ in the whole world, that means you and I need to be faithful with seven other people because seven times a billion is seven billion in the world. Now we know, of course, that many will not be And so there'll be many, many people, groups, who have not heard the good news of Jesus Christ. But I want you to just think about that for just a moment. Would you be faithful with the seven in your friendship group? Have you ever taken a piece of paper and just drawn that piece of paper your circle of influence? The people that you work with, family members, friends that know you. My wife recently has been going in for a massage work on her back. And every time she goes to see this gal... She prays for her and prays that God would give her an opportunity to share Christ. So far, Kathy's gotten to give her two messages. She's given her a couple CDs, music CDs. She's given her a little booklet. She's had interaction with her about Jesus Christ. And the girl's very open and we're praying that in time she would come to know Jesus Christ. She is being an ambassador. You see, she's being mission-minded she is using her soft, gentle personality, and yet she goes in with a specific desire, Lord, I want to be a light to this girl. I want to hear about her life. I want to know about her. I want to be a good listener. I want to make Christ attractive. And over the last couple months that she's gone, a wide door of opportunity has opened. We do not know if she will embrace Christ or not, but Kathy is doing all that she can To be persuasive in her life. (coughs) Kathy's got a grandmother who's 93. And um, her grandmother, as far as we know, we're just not certain if she really knows the Lord. At times she's not really shown a real interest. But Kathy has prayed off and on for her grandmother over the years. And (coughs) from time to time she'll send a strategic gift. She sent her the the purpose-driven life, and she actually read it. And then during Jessica's illness, we began to get letters from her grandmother cars. I'm, I'm praying for Jessica every day. I don't know if she knows the Lord yet, but she knows about prayer, and she's praying. And recently someone gave me uh, Billy Graham's book on, um, I think it's uh, Close to Home is the name of the book, and he's 93, and it's his uh, thoughts about getting old, and um, I think someone thought I was getting really old. <coughs> I'm joking. I, I'm looking forward to reading it. But my wife saw it. She said, Oh, Mark, can I see it? And she started to read it. And she's just, I can hear her up there going, Oh, oh, Mark, oh, i got to get this to my grandma. Mark, did you know they're born the same year? I said, Maybe that book was written just for your grandmother. She's always thinking. You know, my wife is not bombastic like I am. My wife is not ultra-verbal like I am. But in her own way, she understands her mission. And I have seen her do those kinds of things with neighbors, with family members, with her own mother, taking opportunities with her mother's second husband, which was a very difficult situation, how it all transpired. Kathy loved him. She reached out to him and on his last final days, though we didn't know it was going to be his last final days, my wife said, Mark, I just have such a burden to share Christ with Dale. I just don't know where he's at. She said, but I, I, I just don't feel peace about calling him on the phone. And I said, well, why don't you write him a, a letter, a handwritten letter and a card, and share with him how you found Christ and... She began to do that and she wrote it out and um, it was very gracious and shared what Christ had done for her. And that, you know, Dale, I know that you've had a a, a long and full life and and I'm praying that you you recover from this major heart surgery. But only God knows that. But I would just encourage you, Dale, you can spend, we can spend eternity together if you just turn to Christ. And so she shared the gospel with him. Every single one of you in this room can do it. But the question is, is it even on your radar? Is it your desire? Do you understand what's at stake? I have watched my wife over the years, our family. This is what our family's been about all these years. All these years is winning others to Christ and helping those who come to Christ, to those who already know Christ, to burn passionately for Jesus Christ. To make Christ attractive to others. In Romans chapter 9, I'd like to show you the heart of Paul for a moment. This is a pretty remarkable text. And I'd just like you to think about your own heart for a moment as I read this. Paul writes, In the presence of Christ, I speak with utter truthfulness. I do not lie. And my conscience and the Holy Spirit confirm that what I'm saying is true. My heart is filled with... With great sorrow and unending grief for my people, the Jews, who are my brothers and sisters by blood, I would be willing to be forever cursed, cut off from Christ, if that would save them. Now, of course, it wouldn't save them, you see, because Paul can't offer that. Only Christ can, and Christ was cut off from God the Father for our sake. That we might be redeemed. But I want you to think about this for a moment. Are you really burdened to the point for other people that it, in a good way it weighs on you and it causes you to passionately live a life of integrity and godliness and holiness? That you're attractive. That anyone would even want to listen to you. Because of your humility and your beautiful spirit and your thoughtfulness and your considerateness. The Bible says, be considerate towards outsiders. The Lord is near. I can't tell you how many times I have seen opportunities open up with people because of simple considerateness. Simple considerateness. Whether it's been at a grocery store and I just commented to someone, you know what? I want you to know. I love coming to this store. Well, well, why? Because every one of you workers are just, you're so pleasant, you're so hardworking. I appreciate the extra effort you went to. How many doors can open up? Or maybe maybe you've got a mechanic and he's done really good work on your car. Instead of just paying the bill, you also brought a caribou card or you bought a $10 Chipotle gift certificate. And you said, hey, thank you very much. For the extra work. And maybe, just maybe, you stepped out with a lot of courage and handed the card with a little gospel tract. So many opportunities that God can give in our lives if we understand what's at stake. Secondly, um, I'd like to show you this in Colossians. I'll just quote it in Colossians chapter 128. The Apostle Paul said... Wherever I go, I warn every man. I'm going to actually read it from the Berkeley Bible instead of quote it. Because I wanted to read it from this version. We proclaim Christ while warning every person and instructing every individual in all wisdom so we might present every person fully mature in Jesus Christ. And for this, I toil wrestling to the point of exhaustion according to his energy, which is powerfully at work within me. Wrestling to the point of exhaustion. Paul wrestled in prayer. He wrestled verbally. He wrestled philosophically. He wrestled in debates, healthy debates. He did everything he could to help people mature in Jesus Christ, to get wisdom across to them. These things that I've just read, I just want to, Read you what I wrote here for a moment, comment on it. <clears throat> These two things, helping people come to Christ and helping them grow up in Christ, has literally been the single greatest desire of the last 36 years of my life. When I came to Christ, I was so overwhelmed. I was 19 years old with what Jesus Christ had done for me. <clears throat> and and it was like it was like um, you know the blindness. The scales fell off my eyes and for the first time I began to see what really mattered. And all that mattered from that point on in my life was people. And helping people come to know Christ. Helping those who don't know Him come to know Him. And helping those who know Him, who have already embraced Him, to obey Him. To follow him, to understand the truth about him, because the devil's always lying. He's always trying to distort your image of God and your understanding of the Word of God and deceive you and punk you out. And so I've lived my life completely, 100% for those two purposes. As a result, that was the game. In other words, that's the game that I've been trying to win. In order to do that, I had to change and grow in every area of my life. In every area of my life. I mean, I look back at 36 years, and I'm so thankful for what God has done. He's still growing me, but I'm not just up here today, you know, because I started this yesterday. There's been a lot of things that God has had to do in my life that I've had to allow God to do. I had to allow God to humble me. I had to stop running from trials. I had to get used to pain. I had, to get, I had to become willing to be rebuked. <clears throat> you don't see Tim Tebow crawling in the corner crying his eyes out because of all the criticism, do you? And I can tell you right now, <clears throat> I think his coach's name is John Fox. I think the last name's Fox. I don't remember the first name. <clears throat> but I'll tell you this, he's given him criticism every single day in practice. He's given him praise too. But he's under the eye of an older man who can see the things you need to improve in and can play into your strengths. Do you want to grow? It pushed me to grow in my character. I was lazy. I was undisciplined. I had a loud mouth. I had an ineffective mouth. My speech wasn't wise. My speech wasn't clear. I didn't put things together well for other people. I could be very judgmental. I could be very obnoxious. I could lack grace. And all these things and so many more, I had to grow in. I had to continue to learn in. It drove me to change my mouth. It drove me to get wisdom so I could be more useful in influencing other people. It changed How I dressed. It changed how I interacted with others. How I used my time. It drove me to get disciplined with my money. My passion for excellence. Because excellence influences people more greatly than sloppiness and mediocrity. You know that. And I know that. But so many Christians live such mediocre sloppy lives. Not realizing that the very way you go about your life is bringing shame on the message that we teach because you're lazy. You're lackadaisical. And you don't realize that if you got more excellent, your life would be more persuasive with your family and with your friends. It would be more powerful because of your dedication. It drove me (coughs) in my parenting because well-mannered children... Well-behaved children who respect their parents and love each other are a great advertisement for the Christian faith. They're a great advertisement for the faith. And nothing is quite as discouraging and no fun to be around than bratty, snot-nosed, sullen, ill-mannered children. It's worse than a dog jumping up all over you all the time or a cat crawling over somebody's house. It's like, oh man, can these kids just shut up? can you please get that kid? You ever been around a whiny, just whiny kid? I mean, just go to Target sometime. This is a good season to do that. You'll understand what you don't want. It drove me as a father, you see. I knew that in order to produce godly children, it means things have got to change in Mark's life. One of the things I prize most is letters from my children. and In one of those letters, my daughter said to me, she said, Dad, I can honestly say to you, she wrote this to me, she's in her 20s. So not some little 10-year-old wanting to please Daddy. She said, Dad, I can honestly say the world never had anything to offer to me because you made Christ look so attractive. You made Christianity look so cool to the rest of our family. That was the goal. That was the point. And I can show you a lot of fathers that make Christianity look like a joke. I mean, why would I, if I was a kid, why would I want to follow you? Why would I want what you say is so important to you? You're a dud, man. I know that's harsh, but it's true. It's true. And so many kids, do you realize that we are losing? of our evangelical children are turning away from Jesus Christ. And the number one reason is not because the church failed, because the parents failed. They don't live a radical, passionate life on mission for Jesus Christ, demonstrating to their children the reality of God, the wonderfulness of God, the power of God, and the joy of God. And as a result, man, I don't want it. It's like, man, who wants to grow up playing bridge? I want something exciting, man. I want something that means something. I want to grow up watching soap operas. I want to know the living God. I wanted to reveal to my children the living God they had to see him in me. I want to close tonight by reading a passage I found tonight in the Phillips Bible. And this is also a passage that has been profound in my life. It's found in 1 Timothy 4, 7 through 16. Before I read this, I just want to close and ask you this. Do you long inside? Do you have a longing for God to use you to influence others for Christ? Each of you has a group of people, your circle of influence that God wants to use you to influence your family, your non Christian friends, your co workers, your classmates, roommates, your own physical children, unique people groups. Is this your passionate desire? <clears throat> God rewards desire, preparation, action, and prayer. And He wants you to go out and create some opportunities. To influence others. This passage has been a sort of a guiding light for me as a young man and now as a pastor. It's in uh, 1 Timothy 4. You will be doing your duty as Christ's servant if you remind your church members of these things, and you will show yourself as one who owes his strength to the truth of the faith he has absorbed and the sound teaching he has followed. Do you owe your strength to the truth of the faith that you've absorbed? What have you absorbed? How much have you even absorbed? Are you passionate about growing your faith? Are you passionate to see your faith grow and strong and see the knowledge of the word of God permeate your mind and your heart? Steer clear of all these stupid, godless fictions. Take time and trouble to keep yourself spiritually fit. Bodily fitness has a certain value, but spiritual fitness is essential both for this present life and for the life to come. There is no doubt about this at all, and Christians should remember it. It is because we realize the paramount importance of the spiritual that we labor and struggle we place our whole confidence in the living God, the Savior of all men and particularly of those who believe in him. These convictions should be the basis of your instruction and teaching. Don't let people look down on you because you're young or youthful. See that they look up to you because you are an example to them in your speech and behavior, in your love and your faith and your sincerity. Wow. Wow. It's called influence. That's called being persuasive. See to it that everyone you meet has a reason to really respect you. <clears throat> Concentrate <clears throat> until I arrive on reading and on your preaching and teaching. Never forget that you received the gift of pro- proclaiming God's word. Give your whole attention... All your energies to these things so your progress and growth will be plain to others to see. Keep a critical eye, a watchful eye on your own life and on the teaching you give. And if you continue to follow the line I have indicated for you, you will not only save your own soul, but the soul of many others of your hearers as well. I go over and over and over and over and over and over this passage. sums it up. Knocks me upside the head. It reminds me of what it's all about. It reminds me of what I'm supposed to do. It reminds me of the main thing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you tonight that you are working in every life. The problem so often is we're not working with you. You're working in us to give us the desires and the power to do what is right but we are not diligent in our plans, and in our preparation, and in our devotion in focusing all of our energy in spiritual fitness that we might be of spiritual use in the lives of other people. Lord, we have this holiday coming up, and Christmas always offers us the month of December a very, very unique opportunity for doing good, for being a light to others. Through our graciousness and our, our kind words, our, our servant attitude and our serving of others, <clears throat> give special gifts that we might buy for family members. An opportunity to show love to a mother or a father, maybe who is not quite so loving to us. The opportunity to show the transforming power of Jesus Christ in our life by loving the unlovable. <clears throat> I'm not saying, Lord, nor are you, that we're all supposed to go home, stand up Christmas morning and look at everybody around the tree and say, You all need to listen to me right now. You're doomed to hell. And if you don't repent and find Jesus, you're going to burn. <clears throat> That's the truth. But that isn't going to be winsome. Help us to win them with our life, with our attitude, with our prayers. Help us to know just how to answer each family member. Help us with our younger siblings or cousins or a favorite aunt or an uncle. Maybe a book that we could get for them. Maybe they're searching. Maybe they're going through a difficult time or a divorce. Help us to be thoughtful in what we share. You said to be wise towards outsiders. Always be gracious as you share with them the hope that's within you. But, oh God, give us desire. Or nothing's going to happen. Please use every single person. Help them to go home this weekend and seriously evaluate. Lord, how can I impact my friends for Christ? We can start by praying for my friends, my family, my co-worker. We can start to evaluate the quality with which we live our life. We can get serious about growing and changing these glaring areas in our life that we don't even realize are causing us to be ineffective. Help us, Lord Jesus. Amen.